If you would like to challenge Chris on the most entertaining children's message, the sign-up sheet is back there behind y'all on the left hand, my right, your left. Chris, very good. Very good. All right, well, he's going to take the children with him. He's not, he's doing double duty today, children's message and the time of study together while we're having our message. Today, while we're in here, we're going to open our Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. The easiest way to find 1 John is to go to the very back of the Bible. John, you watching me? Go to the very back of the Bible. You're going to find what book in the back of the Bible? Revelation, right. Not the back cover, Revelation. Revelation, then you start turning forward, you're going to get to Jude. Then you get after Jude, turning forward, 3 John, this 2 John, then 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 is going to be where our reading will be today as we have our Valentine's message. Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day 2021. What day is Valentine's Day on? Sunday. January or February 14th, not January. February 14th. Have you noticed that Valentine's Day is always on February 14th? Have you noticed that? Every year, February 14th. Not always on Sunday, always on February 14th. So you may be thinking, what's your point? Well, I got thinking last week, why is it on February 14th? Why make this day the day to celebrate Valentine's Day? And where did this day even come from? I was thinking to myself, it had to do with Hallmark or some candy store. Because they're the one to get rich off this day, right? Flower shops and things like that. So I'm thinking there's somehow a conspiracy to this being the day. But this, I found out, is actually maybe where Valentine's Day come from. Because when I get curious, when I'm doing the message, doing some research, thinking about a text, sometimes I actually resort to the Internet to get me an answer. So I thought, why February 14th? Why Valentine's Day? Where did it come from? So I found a website, Britannica, from the old encyclopedia that said this, for curious minds. The holiday, Valentine's Day, has its origin in the Roman festival of Lupercalia, held in mid-February. The festival, which celebrated the coming of spring, included fertility rites and the pairing off of women with men by lottery. Now, I stopped there for a minute because I'm thinking, I'm looking at this thinking, well, that's how Sheila got unlucky with me. The pairing of the lottery. I obviously won the lottery. She lost. So it's the pairing of the lottery. What? Okay, so that was interesting. Reading more. Moving forward in time. At the end of the 5th century, Pope Galatius I replaced Lupercalia with St. Valentine's Day. That's not when it really became Day of Romance. That didn't happen until the 14th century. Well, that was all and well, but I wanted more. And as I was curious, I found more. It said further, the day, Valentine's Day, may have taken its name from a priest named Valentine, who was martyred about 270 A.D. by the Emperor Claudius II Gothicus. According to legend, the priest signed the letter 
Remember, his name's Valentine. So he signed the letter from your Valentine to the jailer's daughter whom he had befriended. Hmm. Still more. Others believe that the day is named after St. Valentine, attorney, a bishop who has defied the emperor's orders and secretly married couples to spare the husbands from going to war. So multiple theories seems to exist. I concluded with this. Nobody really knows where it came from exactly. But as we recognize the day, for however it started, it is always seemingly associated with love and romance, except for the unlucky day that Sheila got stuck with me. But then as this associate of love and romance, recognize this also. It seems to be that every year then, the expectation is to shower the one you love with flowers and candy and maybe some silly little teddy bear. That's what we're supposed to do on Valentine's Day, right? By a show of hands, how many has done it? I got a couple that has done it. All right. But look, majority has not. So what's that mean? That might mean this, that maybe we need to ask the next question. If you did not receive anything today for Valentine's Day, the day is not over yet. Does that mean that you're not loved? I asked the question and I provide the answer. It does not mean you're not loved because you are loved. No matter if today you receive anything from your Valentine or not, you still are loved. Because we are loved by our Heavenly Father, who does not take the liberty to show his love with candy or flowers or any other kind of gift like that that we typically would give to someone to show our love for Valentine's. He shows his love to us through his Son. The best gift that we've ever received, we say this all the time, the best gift in life to ever show someone love is Jesus. John 3.16 tells us of this. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what John wrote in his gospel. But Paul wrote something wonderful too. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he said, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Two wonderful verses among many, many that you can find in the scriptures that tell us, remind us of God's special love he has for everyone. But there are also verses in the letter we look at today that are wonderful. Today we do open up, as you may already have been prepared, to 1 John chapter 4 to find some wonderful loves to also give us maybe, arguably, the best, best verses pertaining to Valentine's that we should receive and consider. So stand with me this morning as we do so to look into 1 John chapter 4. We're going to find one critical verse that we expand upon heavily today that tells us that God is love, which is the title of today's message, and maybe even the title of the caption you find in your Bible above verse 7. So starting in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, 
Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Father, Lord, we come before you at this moment in this time, Lord, thanking you for the reading of this word. Lord, we ask for a blessing and certainly be upon it. But Lord, we turn our attention to the text because it tells us of the special love that exists for all mankind. Further, Lord, it tells us of the source of the love, which is you. It's you, God. You are the source of love. So now we enlist the Spirit, Lord, to help and to lead and to guide this message we receive here today as we explore this text to understand it better and begin to apply it directly to our lives. So, Lord, we're thankful what you shall do here this morning, but we shall learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the letter is sometimes called an epistle, but the epistle or the letter, whichever word you might want to use, known as 1 John, undisputably by scholars have concluded, yes, it was written by John. John, who, of course, was one of the original 12 disciples, labeled at times the one whom Jesus loved, and was in the inner circle along with Peter and James. Now, as we begin to dissect this portion or any portion of 1 John, this letter, it is important to recognize that the letter is probably written in A.D. 85 to about A.D. 90 in a situation and time which preceded the time that John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, the situation, context in which John is writing is not altogether good, particularly for the city of Jerusalem or for Christians. Because in A.D. 70, maybe 25 or so years, maybe 15 to 25 years before John wrote the letter, Jerusalem was destroyed, which thereby scattered Christians throughout the entire Roman Empire. The Christians, at the same time then, were facing severe persecution. But just as it seems to be today, it was then where severe persecution placed upon the Christians actually strengthened the resolve of the Christians and then the spread of Christianity. So then subsequently, Christianity began to grow and was then passed on and down to the next generation. So when John writes this, there's a generation coming upon the horizon, coming upon the scene here, into churches, particularly church in Jerusalem or in Ephesus, that has never seen, never heard of Jesus. They've never heard him speak, never seen him, only for what they could glean from their parents, the preceding generation. Now with that then, as times began to happen and persecution began to be very severe, it got very challenging for the young generation of Christians. And at times, perhaps understandably, their faith began to waver. 
Even declining commitment was evident among this younger generation. Some even turned away from the standards that Jesus would expect and began to turn then to the world standards and begin to live a pagan lifestyle. So the faith of this second generation then coming into the church was being compromised, especially then with an onslaught of false teachers that began to be on the horizon. So then as that's happening, that's what it is when John begins to face the heresy. He writes the letter to correct the heresy that began to happen and to help encourage these young believers and now begin to explain to them, yes, Jesus is love. God is love. He begins to explain everything about God being love to help them, to encourage them, to correct the heresy. And he certainly then tells them they should be loving one another as a body of believers. So if you ever get a chance, maybe later sometime this week, to read through the entirety of 1 John, you're going to quickly discern, quickly observe, there are dozens of times that John begins to speak about love. And the word love is used repeatedly. In fact, John is so focused in this letter upon love that it makes three distinct sections that become quite evident. Particularly in chapter 2, you will see, maybe read later, that he begins to talk about the love of the evidence as our fellowship for God. In chapter 3, he was talking about the evidence of our sonship with God, illustrating love. But now we focus upon the fourth chapter because it seems to be the apex of his discussion about love. Because now, as he's introduced love throughout the letter, it comes to the fourth chapter, he begins to define its source. He says, God is love. He traces everything in life and love back to God. It says in verse 8 that God is love. Which means then we have three spiritual truths that we can expand and explore upon, which are these. These are the three truths. We only will get the first one today. For a Valentine's message, we get the first one the other two will have to wait for next week. But the first one then that we'll expand upon today is that love certainly has its source. It is in God. Love has its source. It is God. Verse 8 seems to emphasize this significantly and greatly. We'll also then next week begin to expand further and find that love is manifested in his son, in Jesus. And then thirdly, we'll also talk about next week, we get to fill in the blank today, that love is commanded. We should love one another. So we go back then to the beginning and consider what John has written for us to have today for a special Valentine's message that love has its source in God. It's verses 7 and 8. I'm going to read it once more. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not go know God because God is love. As I read verses 7 and 8, the first thing that jumps off the page at me in the scriptures, in the Bible, in John's letter, is that God personifies love. He, by his nature, is love. It's what he is. Other than God's sovereignty, I would argue to you that that love is his most significant 
noticeable characteristic other than his sovereignty. Which means then that we have a theme to suggest this. That just as light radiates from the sun, that we can see out the window, just as light comes from the sun, love radiates from God's very nature. It's just who he is. And we should recognize that as God loves us, and as he is the source of love, that he loves us unconditionally. I mean, despite the faults and the flaws that we seem to have just in human life, God still loves us. I mean, I don't know anybody else that can love another person as much as God loves, except for your mother. But yet God loves you even more than your mother. I mean, even that, consider this then, that when we use the word love, which will be expressed many times today, either verbally or maybe in written form with cards and things about Valentine's Day, when we express love, we normally do it conditionally, which you consider to be opposite of God. He does it unconditionally because we, by expressing love, seem to make it up on conditions where we'll say, well, I love you if, or if not based upon I love you if, we seem to do it by emotion. I love you because. But God is different. His love is unconditional. It's not based upon if or based upon emotion. I mean, God does not say, I love you if, or I didn't love you because. God's love is unconditional. He is simply, by his nature, a loving God to everyone. If that should ever be disputed, in your mind and think about this, that there is actually not one thing about any of us. I love all of you, but there's not one thing about any of us. There's nothing in any of us that would cause God to love us. When you begin to think about that and ponder, you begin to realize that we're not so special after all. I mean, we cannot cause God to love us. We can't do a countless number of things to do what is right to say, God, that makes you love me. And we can't even buy his love. By our very nature, we are not good people. We are sinners. That's how I know that there's nothing within us that causes God to love us because we appear on as best as we can to clean ourselves up as still filthy, dirty rags. There's nothing about us that would cause God to love us because we're sinners. But fortunately this, that God's love for us is motivated by who he is, not by who we are. In fact, God will say, or John will write later, in this, in this chapter, in verse 19, he's going to write and tell us even how we have the capacity to love. He's going to say, we, we love because he first loved us in John, 1 John 4, 19. And he loves us even when there is nothing about us, nothing within us that would cause us, that would cause a perfect and holy God to express his love for us. Even when there's nothing within us that would cause him to love us, he still does. 
which then in my mind prompted this next question. Why would God love me? Why would he love us? Even in our filthiness, even in our sinfulness. And the answer is only because it's God's nature. It's who he is. And he desires that we would know him. It's the essence of verse 7 and 8. Again, love is from God. God is love. It's the essence of who he is. It's his nature. We're filthy, dirty rags. We have faults, we have flaws, but he loves us anyway. But as you look deeper in verses 7 and 8, not only do you find that love is from God and that God is love, look at the latter part of verse 7. Notice that John states this then. Whoever loves has been born of God and then knows God. Which means two things that become true of Christians, of people who practice love, of believers. He says they have been born of God and that we know God. He says people who practice love, people who illustrate love, people who love one another have two things about them, that they have been born of God and that they know God. That, in my mind, had yet another question. Does that mean that as I begin to read what John is saying here, that whoever loves, whoever loves, is then born of God and knows God? I mean, the question then in my mind, does this mean that anybody in the world who has a feeling of love for somebody could be classified, could be considered a Christian? Is that what John is saying here? Because if that's what John is beginning to say, I'm troubled by that. That whoever has the capacity, somehow an expression of love towards another can be called a Christian or that knows God. I'm troubled by that, if that's what he's saying. So I began to consider that, and I began to think about what John truly is saying. I thought, no, 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 he's not saying that. He is not saying that just anybody. Whoever expressed love towards someone else is thereby then a Christian, a believer. But rather what John is saying, what he is talking about here, is the special relationship that begins to exist between God and believers. Between God and you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's a special relationship that begins to exist between you and God. So that's what John is really focusing on. That's really what he's talking about. If you're having trouble contemplating that, then think of it this way. If you have children, you begin to truly understand. Because when you begin to have children, they have your DNA, which equates to children then having your nature. It's genetically passed down to them. When you have children that have your DNA and they have your nature, it's just how it works. Now, as I say that, recognize this. That can be both good and bad. I mean, there are some things about Chase that I see that he probably got that from me rather than Sheila. I'm talking about the good things that Chase has he got from me. Okay? The things he does, rebellious nature, all that kind of stuff, like Kayla, got from Sheila. All right. 
The good qualities they got from me. You digging it? You got it? Okay. So that can be both good and bad. They got Shields DNA, the bad stuff. They got my DNA, the good stuff. You with me? I'm looking for an amen, not getting it. Maybe my mom listening later will give me the amen I'm looking for. Because she knows what I'm talking about. But staying out of trouble, getting back to the point. As we then illustrate the point with the DNA, we have God's DNA. Having God's DNA figuratively, yes, is a good thing. Because then it gives us truly the capacity to love. We take on his nature. Remember, God is love. So if God then, as to his nature, is love, then everyone who has truly been born again, born of God, partakes of that nature of love. It just becomes in our DNA. And then not only that, as John continues, not only do we have the capacity, the nature to love like God can love, we know him as really knowing him. Not just knowing about him, but to know him as in that true intimate relationship that he wants to have with every one of us. It's much more than knowing about him. Knowing about him is not knowing God. Any person can find out about God. You can find out about his sovereignty, his power, his might. Anybody can find out those things about God. But knowing him intimately does not equate to just knowing about him. God wants to us to know him intimately in relationship. Not like I know about Tom Brady. Now, look, I'm not a fan of Tom Brady, but I can know about him. And since the Super Bowl was last Sunday, and because he won yet another Super Bowl, man's going to run out of rings for his fingers pretty soon, or his fingers are the rings. I mean, he's got seven now. He's been to 10 Super Bowls. He's got seven championship rings. But I can know about Tom Brady. I mean, I can even know more about Tom Brady. I can know he, he's 43 years old. He's six foot four. He's 225 pounds. He played college football at Michigan. A lot of people don't know about Tom Brady. He was not a top draft pick. He was selected in the sixth round of the draft. The 199th person drafted. But yet, the man you can't dispute is a great football player. He's won again seven Super Bowls. He won his first with Tampa Bay this year. He won all the previous six with New England. He has career statistics. 1,043 yards rushing. 25 rushing touchdowns. 79,204 passing yards. 6,778 passing completions. You getting all this? 581 passing touchdowns. He has a supermodel for a wife, Gazelle. He has two children. And he was raised Roman Catholic. See, I can know all about Tom Brady. I mean, I don't want to know Tom Brady, but I can know about him. I have no desire to know him intimately. But God does. God wants the intimate relationship with each and every one of us. He 
has a desire for us to know him, not just know about him. And when you're Valentine, whoever that may be, they know you. But God knows you so much better than your Valentine. And he wants you to not just know about him, but to know him intimately in a very special relationship. That's what John is talking about when he says to know him. And I love that John makes that distinction here in the text about knowing. Not simply knowing about him, but knowing him intimately. Possessing, having his DNA, and receiving that special love. But as John says that, notice very next, he says the opposite in verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. He says the opposite here. He, he seems to be saying that anyone who does not have any way of loving anyone must not know God at all or anything about God. I mean, as Dr. David Allen said it, if you score minus points in the love league, you don't have a clue who God is. But putting that back up on us, shouldn't we want to know God? Not just about God? Shouldn't we want to be in that special, meaningful relationship with him? I mean, shouldn't we want to be in, in, in like God as much as possible as we can? I mean, yes, we should want to be like God, and having that DNA and that capacity, ability to love. I mean, again, we place it upon conditions. God is unconditionally loving each of us. But yet, because we have his DNA, we have the ability to love others as God loves. And then we should desire that we should love all people as he did, regardless of what they look like, where they come from, whether they're smaller, or taller, older, or younger, nationality, their gender. It doesn't matter. We should love each other as God loves us. We should love all people as God loves us. Unconditionally is what you sometimes hear about agape love. And in this text, God begins to teach us what love is all about so that we can truly love others. John tells us in these verses that love is a part of God's very nature. And that God can never be absent from love. And God doesn't walk around and select who he wants to love. I'm going to love Roger. I'm going to love Steve. I'm going to love Jackson. He doesn't select select you about who he's going to love. He loves everyone. He gave his son for everyone to receive as an illustration of his love. It's by his very nature who he is. And then love thereby cannot be absent from God. John also tells us that love is not just an attribute of God. It is part of his very nature. Which then means that love is much, much more than emotion. If you ask someone how you know you love someone, it's probably going to be based upon emotion. But God is not that way. He didn't base it upon some emotion. One commentary stated that God's love 
is this settled disposition towards us that flows from his being, his nature, divine attribute. I mean, the point is, again, I keep being repetitive, is who he is, is his nature. Our love we have seems to be so much different. It is less than, really, honestly. We normally we express, describe, define love in terms of response to something we find desirable someone. I mean, we say, I love you because she's beautiful. I love you because he's so smart, he's so handsome, he's so muscular. That's how she will love me. Or I love you because well, she has all kinds of fancy things. Or, or I love him because he's so rich. Always based upon a condition or emotion. But God's love, the love we should desire and want to emulate is so much different. It's unconditional. He is love. John actually gives us not only the theme, again, the theme is just as light radiates from the sun, love radiates from God's very nature. He gives a secondary theme written at the bottom of your notes. If you're taking notes in the back of that bulletin, he actually gives a secondary theme that tells us God's love for me is because he is he, not because I am I. He's going to love you no matter what. Just like your mother would love you, but so much more than your mother's going to love you. And that, my friends, is real love. The type of love you can get from God is real, genuine, sincere love. Unparalleled to any other love we'll ever have in our life. And we need to have that love in our life. We need to realize that type of love on Valentine's Day. It doesn't matter if today you received anything or not. All last week, it was an unusual week because we had so many of these snow days. I mean, usually I'm at school doing things, passing, you know, making kids get to school, putting them on the bus, getting them into school. Later on, I take food to the schools, even feed some of them. So I hear all kinds of normal week. I hear all kinds of different things, which didn't occur last week. But one thing kept occurring, one thing kept happening more last week, I was shoveling snow. I got the blade on the front of the truck from school, and I kept pushing snow all week. But even in that, one thing kept happening, especially as it got closer to Friday. I kept hearing the repetitious question, where do you get in your Valentine? Where do you get in Sheila for Valentine's Day? Where do you get in there? What's she going to get? Where do you get in your wife for Valentine's Day? My answer, nothing. Why would I get her anything? She already has it. Wasn't that a good answer? Again, looking for an amen. I'm not getting it. Okay, thank you. You're learning quickly. But even though I was kind of kidding around with the answer, I really said that, by the way, I actually was thinking to myself, she doesn't need anything. None of us need anything for Valentine's Day. It doesn't matter if you got anything or not. We don't need anything because we've already got it. It's already been given to us. Sheila any of us does not need to receive anything on Valentine's Day. Husbands, that don't mean you can't reach your wife something. But they've already got it. They've received that most special gift in life that God had given them in the Son. 
Jesus. We've already received the most special gift we'll ever get. So it doesn't matter if today you've got anything for Valentine's Day. Because you have. You're loved unconditionally. God loves you and will accept you as you are. There's no better blessing than that. There's no better valentine that anybody could receive than that. He loves you as his own child. Now, remarkably, we still have two more points to explore. I told you we wouldn't get to them today. We're nearly out of time right now. But recognize as we look upon this message today, really in just two verses of the text, how we're emphasizing that love has its source. It is in God. John takes some moment on a letter he's writing to encourage believers that God is love. We hear the same message today, that God is love. Father, Lord, thank you for this message today and for what it tells us. Lord, it's such a blessing to know that we have your DNA. When we receive Lord Jesus Christ into our life, yes, we're reborn. Reborn, Lord, closer to your attributes and of your nature. Now, we're not perfect in that way, Lord. We're not perfectly illustrating, exhibiting love in a way that you do. But love, we can have that ability. So I pray today, Lord, for all of us to put that into practice. For us to genuinely love each other. Love, I'm blessed to be here at Crossroads, and I thank you for that because love is evident. Love is here. And today, Lord, we're given a simple reminder on a day called Valentine's Day of the special love you have for each of one of us. So let us today then, Lord, be thankful for that love that you give to not us, but unto all of mankind. Thank you today, Lord, for loving me as you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.